And I've loved this because I really think everyone in our culture could do with a little more gentleness right now. Uh, as someone who's working in technology, I feel like my whole industry has been on edge right now with news coming out each week about which company will be announcing layoffs next. This fear was only compounded a few weeks ago with the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and the fear that what's going on in my industry could spread into the rest of our fragile economy. How about teen girls? Have any of you seen this recent study that came out that said three out of every five teen girls experienced persistent sadness and that one in three of those girls attempted or considered suicide in 2022? Amazing statistics that are horrifying when you really think about it. But it's not just teen girls. Many of the media outlets that I consume have picked up on this study that shows that 50% of Americans are expressing dissatisfaction in the level of intimacy that they feel in their friendships. And that in the last 10 years, the number of people who commit to having one or less good friends has raised from 10% to 30%. And I can't think about the impact it could have on anxious, fearful, and lonely people to know there is a gentle, loving God who wants to be in relationship with all of us. And as a quick recap, here's what we've covered in Lent. Tim opened up Lent on Ash Wednesday by sharing that the whole life and ministry of Jesus in the incarnation is an act of gentleness. Jen masterfully took us through the story of Jairus' daughter and Jesus bringing a woman whose society had completely disregarded into the center of the narrative, showing us God's love for the least, the lost, and the last in a profound way. Thank you for that, Jen. Tim then took us through Jesus' response to the rich young man asking what he might need to do to be good and Jesus completely transforming what he thought his impression of following Jesus would look like. And last week, Trevor took us to Paul to talk about the theme of gentleness in Paul's ministry. It's amazing to see this element of God's character woven throughout both Jesus's ministry and Paul's ministry. And today, I want to take on the theme of gentleness in Peter's ministry. And what I love about this assignment is that Peter isn't necessarily someone we naturally think of as a beacon of gentleness. In fact, when I pitched this idea for the sermon series in our preaching team meeting, everyone looked at me and said, are you really going to get to gentleness from Peter? I don't believe you can do that. But what I love about this topic as it relates to Peter is it shows us the impact God's gentleness can have over an individual throughout the course of time. As we'll see this morning, when Christ initially finds Peter, he was anything but gentle. But if we track his character arc, we actually see that he comes around later in his life and buys into the theme and beauty of gentleness and the way he encourages the church in First and Second Peter. So again, if you're anything like me and your chuckles indicate you might agree, I imagine you don't think of Peter as a super gentle individual but rather as someone who's brash, assertive, and direct. And candidly, I can see why. There's quite a bit of evidence to back this up. Let's talk about some of the highlights from Peter's life in the Gospels and the book of Acts. When Jesus approaches the disciples' boat, walking on water amidst a crazy storm, Peter is the only one of the disciples who is brave enough to stand up and get out of the boat. When Jesus asks the disciples who he is, Peter is the one who's confident enough to interject that, Jesus, you are the Christ. When Jesus tells the disciples that he was going to have to suffer and die, 
Matthew tells us that Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, this will never happen to you. Some translations literally say that Peter reprimanded Jesus on the spot. Now, can you imagine having the confidence to look Jesus in the face and say, I think you're wrong? But that story actually isn't the only time that Peter does this to Jesus. If we look at the passion narrative, there's several other instances where he directly refutes Jesus. He tells Jesus, do not wash my feet. When Jesus tells him that he will deny him three times, Peter says, there's no way that's not going to happen. And in the most aggressive tune, when men come to arrest Jesus prior to his crucifixion and Jesus models gentleness, Peter pulls out his sword and chops off one of these guards' ears. Again, not a very strong picture of an individual who's modeling gentleness. And what about in Acts, right? What are the, some of the key moments we see from Peter's early life leading the church? At Pentecost, there's a large crowd of Jewish believers from all over the ancient world gathering together. We're told that the spirit had Peter as a brash, bold, and assertive individual who often has a propensity to put his foot in his mouth. On the other side of it, at his best, I think of Peter as a bold and assertive leader, an individual who was filled with righteous zeal and confidence that led to massive growth in the early church. But the interesting thing about these stories is they're an incomplete picture of who Peter is, and they only show us a picture of who he was as a young man. We know Jesus called Peter to be one of his disciples early in his life. So it's safe to assume the stories from the gospel and acts that I've just shared are a version of Peter in his 20s and 30s. There's a whole different Peter we get a glimpse of into when he writes his epistles 30 years later. And so what do we know about 1 Peter in particular, the letter our scripture passage comes from this morning? While scholars largely agree that the letter was written between 60 and 65 AD during the reign of Nero as the first persecution in the early church was taking place. The gospel had spread like wildfire throughout the ancient world, and Peter wrote this epistle to ethnically diverse provinces throughout modern-day Middle East and Turkey. There's a reference to Babylon in the fifth chapter, which is likely a metaphor for Rome, and indicates that Peter is speaking to the impact Roman culture had on this body of believers. It also means he's writing to a Gentile audience, no longer just a Jewish population like the one he preached to at Pentecost. And why is this context relevant for our topic this morning? I think it matters because it shows us that the Peter who wrote our scripture passage for today is a dramatically different leader than the one we saw in the Gospels in the early church. He's older now, likely somewhere between his 50s and 60s, and he's now writing to a Gentile audience, not just speaking to Jews. If you read these letters carefully, there's also something dramatically different about the way he's encouraging Christians to operate. His boldness is still there, but there's this nuanced humility present in his words that we didn't see before. There's clearly so much growth that has taken place in these last 30 years and, the, and different from the gospel stories uh, that we referenced earlier. And it really leads me to wonder, how did Peter go from the young man leading a ministry to Jews in Palestine to writing and leading a diverse church of Gentiles scattered throughout the Roman world? 
Where does the shift take place? And well, I think he's seen a lot in the 30 years between these two stories. Here's a couple of other pivotal moments in Peter's life that aren't quite as famous, but I think were extraordinarily influential in Peter's growth and development in between these two chapters. So later in the book of Acts, Peter is summoned to the house of Cornelius, a Roman officer. And I think it's hard for us now to wrap our heads around just how out of bounds this would have been for Peter. For much of his life, he wouldn't have even entered the home of a Gentile like Cornelius. And yet in this story, God appears to Peter in a dream and challenges him to go directly to Cornelius's home to share the gospel with his whole family. Now, this might seem like a small moment, but I think it really reveals a noticeable shift in Peter's character. I know this is conjecture, but I do think this posture shift is likely due to years of walking with Jesus. After witnessing the resurrection and the amazing encounter he has on the beach with Jesus, I have to think Peter was fiercely committed to a life of prayer and discipleship after this moment. This is his aha moment that has solved his doubt. And from here on out, I imagine him being locked into prayer. So much so that now he recognizes God's voice in a dream and is willing to go against his own instincts and follow God's lead. He's gone from a young man who openly contradicts Jesus to one who's willing to respond to the Holy Spirit's direction. And to me, this shows that shift in the young man from the Gospels to a more spiritually mature, formidable leader. This is a profound moment because not only is Peter obedient, but by choosing to following Jesus, by following Jesus' lead here, he's moving towards a deeper understanding of who God is. By saying yes to Jesus, Peter has his imagination of what the gospel is for expanded. Tim preached on these perspective-shifting challenges from Peter two weeks ago in his Sermon on the Mount to the rich young ruler. God always wants to expand our imagination of what life in the kingdom is about, but we're not always ready to respond and say yes. But as we see from Peter in this story, we get to see a glimpse of what that yes looks like. And there's a deeper understanding of what God does in his life on the other side of this. This moment with Cornelius is also closely aligned with Paul's dramatic entry into the life of the early church and God initiating his plan to share the gospel with all people, not just with Jews. As this plan unfolds, there's a symbolic transfer of power from Peter as the de facto leader of the early church to Paul beginning to step into leadership. The Jerusalem Council is ultimately a church conflict between the old guard leadership and Paul, where God is challenging the notion of who the gospel is for in the life of the early church. The gospel is no longer just for the Jews, and it's for all people. Again, this might seem like a small detail. Why is it relevant to Peter? Well, Peter is now deferring to the leadership of the early church. He's no longer calling his own shots. He's trusting what God is doing in the community life of the church. Again, character growth from someone who used to lead the charge to someone who's now willing to sit back and say, where is God moving in our congregation? How do we press forward? On top of these moments that show his own personal maturity, Peter also witnesses a dramatic turn in the cultural receptivity to the church over the book of Acts. 
As I mentioned before, Acts begins with crowds of thousands coming to know the Lord at Pentecost and ends with the church being persecuted. Disciples are martyred, leaders of the church are imprisoned, and Christians are dispersing all over the ancient world, ultimately leading to the diaspora that Peter's writing to down the road. These are significant moments in Peter's life that undoubtedly had to have a major impact on him. And again, it doesn't say it directly in Scripture, but I don't think it's a stretch from any of these stories to assume that Peter had a healthy prayer life and that these experiences were slowly shaping him into more of the man God wanted him to be. This is a living example of how Peter's rule of life is contributing to his own personal transformation. And I'm not afraid to preach this because the Peter who shows up in the letter we read today comes to us as that much more refined individual. You could see the work the Spirit has done to retool his identity and his assertiveness on full display in what he writes. So let's take a look at what Peter had to say to the Christians facing persecution later in our life. Excuse me. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and will grant you a blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, search for peace and work to maintain it. Now, who will harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if some in a respectful way. Do you see the transformation in Peter's approach? The bold, brash young man who once directly reprimanded Jesus on multiple occasions is now urging Christians who once cut off a soldier's ear to defend Jesus is now saying, when people insult you, pay them back with a blessing. If you want to live a happy life, search for peace and work to maintain it. Be ready to share your faith. That boldness is still there, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. Quite different from the direct confrontation to Ananias and Sapphira that we saw earlier in Acts. What's happening here? Is this the same Peter? Well, I absolutely think it's still him. How does he open this letter, right? Bold, brash language. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This verse and many others like it show me Peter's boldness is still alive and well. It's just been channeled in a much healthier way. After years of spiritual formation through Peter's rule of life and witnessing the triumphs and tragedies of what has transpired in the early church, God has slowly been chipping away at Peter's rough edges and refining his character. I think you could say that God's gentleness with Peter has actually softened him over time. And this version of Peter has come full circle. And I think he finally understands what Jesus was trying to say all those years ago when he said he needed to suffer and die. The younger Peter 
who never shied away from a fight or a tough confrontation, now understands that a posture of humility and gentleness is ultimately a more life-giving way of spreading the gospel than being bold and assertive. So much so that he's now paraphrasing one of the Beatitudes to the early church when he says, if you suffer for what is doing right, you will be rewarded. I love this because I have to think young Peter thought Jesus was crazy when he opened the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes and really had no idea what he's saying. But now 30 years later, this is what he's preaching to the churches he's trying to encourage. And what I love about this message in this asking them to do, he's personally been to prison. He's seen James experiencing persecution. He knows firsthand the pain that they're facing. And yet, despite all this, he's saying, don't repay evil with evil. Instead, give them a blessing. He says, don't be afraid of the insults from others. Be ready to share your faith with gentleness and keep worshiping Jesus. When I read these words in the context of what I know about Peter, I hear a wise older leader saying, trust me, I know this approach seems crazy. I also did not understand it when Jesus shared it with me when I was young but I've walked with Jesus for decades and I've seen the impact his gentleness has had on myself and others. This soft approach is ultimately what will transform lives. And ultimately what I love about this character arc is that Jesus knew this version of Peter existed the whole time, didn't he? When Peter was an immature young man, Jesus had the vision of who he would become in his 50s and the impact this would have on the church and all of us 2,000 years later. He knew Peter would have a radical encounter with him after the resurrection on the beach that would transform his life. He knew what Peter would experience as a leader in the early church. He knew that eventually he'd expand Peter's thinking and show him that the gospel would be available to the Gentiles. He knew Paul was coming and would step into the story and challenge some of Peter's misinterpretations of the gospel. And he knew all of these experiences would lead to a much more formidable, gentler Peter, ready to strengthen and encourage the early church facing persecution. Jesus was so gentle with Peter, and the result is a really beautiful thing. So what can we learn from the character arc of Peter? How does this come to us today? Well, three points for me here. First, I think we should be incredibly comforted by the fact that God is patiently transforming us into a better version of ourselves that's more like him. The Peter we meet as a fisherman on the beach early in the Gospels has some rough edges. And despite the fact that he's quite possibly closer to Jesus than any other living person in human history, it still took him a while to come around. You have to think it would have been incredibly frustrating for Jesus to see Peter responding so aggressively over and over and over again when he's quite literally modeling different behavior with his words and with his actions. And while we certainly have examples of Jesus calling Peter out, he's ultimately really patient with Peter. He has a vision of what Peter's life could be over years of following him, and he's willing to put the time and effort into Peter and trust the process and be patient, ultimately because he knows he has eternity to spend with Peter, right? He lets Peter develop on his own timeline and slowly weaves in these new experiences to challenge and shape him into more of his image. And we can trust that God is doing the same thing with us. He 
he has a vision of what we can be, and he's slowly using everything we face for our own good. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we open to our Cornelius-like moment? When we get a question like the one Jesus presented to the rich young ruler, are we willing to say yes to Jesus? In Ronald Rollheiser's book, The Sacred Fire, he says God is often inviting us into a deeper understanding of who he is beyond our current imagination. We just often miss the cues because we're so stuck in our own way of thinking. Peter was a really mature disciple of Jesus when God called him to Cornelius and his family. Peter easily could have said, nope, Jesus, that's out of bounds. It doesn't fit into my understanding of who you are. I'm in my 40s now. I lead a massive group of believers, and my understanding of who you are is solidified. I don't need more. But that's not what he does, right? Peter's open to what God has to say and has this radical paradigm-shifting moment later in life and moves into a whole new season of productivity and ministry and fruitfulness. And I ultimately think understanding of who God is, right? That ministry flows out of being. It's not just what he's doing. Are we willing to say yes to Jesus to move towards that deeper understanding, even if it rattles the foundation of how we conceive of our faith? I'm praying we have the humility and awareness of a church to be able to recognize those similar calls in our own life as we step into years three to five of ministry here at Trinity. Second, I think this character arc reminds us that we can trust God with our sharp edges. Do any of you have those parts of yourselves that continue to rear their ugly heads that you aren't so proud of? I know I do. I have these things in my personality that tend to show up in the worst situations and make them even worse. These are the things that get me down prevent us from running towards Jesus with perseverance that we see referenced in Hebrews 12. And when I think about these things in light of Peter's life, I'm really encouraged how God is going to use our rough edges to bless others. We can have confidence that he has a plan to use all of us for his glory. And when I struggle with my own sin and the tougher parts of my personality, that fact is really, really comforting to me. I'm encouraged to keep pressing forward Not because I have the strength to keep going, but because I know God is patient with me, encouraging me, gently loving me towards a better version of myself, just like he did with Peter. And third, what lesson can we learn from Peter about how we should think about sharing our faith in this cultural moment? Well, the early church in 60 to 65 AD was not all that different from the context we find ourselves in. There was an intensely dominant culture from Rome that permeated the ancient world. Believing in Jesus at the time was starting to come at a cost, much like it's doing for many of us in New England, though a much greater cost back then. Peter challenged these early Christians to be bold in sharing their faith, but he encouraged them to do it with gentleness and respect, even if they faced insults and hardships. And if Christians who feared for their lives could do this, we certainly should be able to muster up the same courage to do the same thing here in New England today. And how in the world do we do that? How do we maintain joy and share our faith in a gentle and loving way? I think we do it by dwelling on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember points one and two? 
if we know God is gentle and kind with us, even when we don't deserve it, despite what we are facing, this should birth within us a joy that empowers us to offer that same unmerited grace towards others. And if we can open ourselves up to that grace, it will naturally lead people to ask, how are you so joyful despite what you are facing? And if we can live in a way that leads people to ask that question, it creates an amazing opportunity to gently share the love of Christ with others. Not from a place of self-righteous arrogance, but from a posture of confident humility, ready to speak about the impact God's had on our lives. And I think the late, great Dallas Willard understood this. In many ways, Willard was a modern-day Peter. Willard was arguably the greatest Christian intellectual of the 21st century. He spent over 50 years as a professor of philosophy. He literally made a living out of constructing moral arguments. And towards the end of his life, he wrote a book called The Allure of Gentleness. And in his book, he's got a whole chapter on this passage from 1 Peter. And here's how he interprets Peter's challenge to share our faith. The call to give an account is, first, not a call to rip of their own intellectual self-righteousness and pride, and usually reinforced by their social surroundings. It seems to me like Willard experienced the same gentleness of Christ over the course of a lifetime that Peter did and came to the same conclusion. He, like Peter, believed that gentleness was the best way to engage fearful, anxious, and lonely individuals. 2,000 years later, the gentleness of Christ is still transforming lives and compelling people to share their faith with others. And I want to close with this. While the character arc of Peter is certainly inspiring, the years before this transformation also counted. They were real. God loved him just the same. And Jesus was with him in those moments where he wasn't the man in his 60s. And this is same thing is true for us. Right now, today, Jesus is near to us. He's delighted to call each of us his child. And he offers that same gentleness we've seen through this sermon to you. We get to live this life with God, walking with us, loving us, leading us, polishing our sharp edges. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would encounter Jesus in new and profound ways this Easter season. And just maybe, after we sit and dwell in that love, it would lead us to be servants of those around us who are also in need. So as we take a couple of minutes to sit in silence and listen to Jesus, I invite you to remind you of his love.